NEC fans, we're back for another NEC on the Run podcast. My name is Ron Ratner with the Northeast Conference. I'm joined by Ryan Peters, who you can find on X at Pioneer underscore Pride. Ryan, we've rounded the halfway point, five weeks down, four to go. We had a huge game on Saturday between Merrimack and Central. I want to lead off with that. Merrimack gets the big win at home in front of 2,000 fans at Lola Arena, game that went right down to the wire. Merrimack gets the sweep. They are now tied for first place in the NEC at 7-2. and two. And just when you thought Central might be able to put some space between themselves and their challengers, now we got a dogfight, and we'll talk about the other teams that are challenging right behind them as well. What were your thoughts from the game on Saturday? I mean – it really was a, a dogfight on Saturday, and it looked like Mer- it was going to be a typical Merrimack win against Central. You know, they're kind of coasting in the second half. They created some separation. They're up double figures. Credit to Central. They'll come back in those final two minutes and get it to a point where that Alan Gene Rose shot. I don't know if you want to get into the goaltender, no goaltend debate. Probably not, but that was that was very close. It was it was an exciting finish, and credit to Merrimack. You know, defensively, they weren't great but they did just enough offensively to win that game 65 percent from two 48 percent from three in that game Durkak had 22 points and 11 shots Devon Savage you know lethal from behind the arc five triples and uh, they get the critical home victory to tie with the Blue Devils at seven and two uh it's gonna be a photo finish with these two I think yeah I look I I have no problem seeing them go round three in the playoffs at some point right it'll be it's a great game Absolutely. The thing with the Warriors is they're playing defense at like a historic level. I mean, right now they are currently top 70 nationally in defensive efficiency. The last team to finish in the top 70 in defensive efficiency was Monmouth back in the 2005-2006 season when they were 57th in the country. So Merrimack is playing defense at a higher level than they did last year. Well, Jordan Minor and the year in, in four years ago, with uh, Javaris Hayes leading the the top of that zone. So just an incredible job by Joe Gallo and the coaches to get this team to play defense at such a high level. They didn't necessarily win it with defense for the entirety of Saturday's win against Central Connecticut. They found another way to win, but this team defensively is so lethal and it's going to keep them in games, especially in March. So what do you think is the key to cracking that zone? And what team in the NEC do you think has the best chance to do that in, in a playoff scenario? You need elite shooters. You know, I look at FDU last year. FDU beat Merrimack twice, and they lost them by one point in the NEC tournament final. They had a guy like Grant Singleton who could shoot 27, 25, 28 feet out. You know, he was hitting 27-footers, uh, I believe, in that Merrimack game in the regular season. Uh, I think it might have been at Lawler Arena, but he was he was just draining it from deep. You need elite shooters. You obviously need a really good post presence. I think I, I think back to like Tanner Thomas, you know, he had a couple of big games against Merrimack, kind of attacking the middle of that zone. He would get into the middle of the zone and kind of post up Jordan Minor and go at him one-on-one. You, you really need playmakers, shot makers, and then playmakers in the interior. If you don't have that, I don't think you have much of a chance, honestly. The only other thing is you try to get out and transition against this team, but Merrimack is so good at getting back on D. They only – usually send one or two guys to the offensive glass and they have at the very least three guys coming back. So your fast break points are few and far between when you're playing Merrimack. So you got to try to get those live ball turnovers on defense and go up the floor as quickly as you possibly can to get some semi easy looks at the basket. 
two things to me that stood out from the game is one Merrimack shot 10 for 21 from three point range. So if Savage is knocking them down and McCoy gets a couple of them and if Durkak, you know, or, or Clark can hit one or two of them, that makes that team even harder, harder to beat, right? If they can put up 70 points in a game, they're in pretty good shape. Oh yeah. I, I don't know what the record is the last five years when they, when they've scored 70 or more, but I'm sure it's very overwhelmingly in favor of them. Um, yeah, when 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 Savage is such a critical piece of this, like when he can make corner threes the way he does, uh, it, it's what he was one big reason why they won. They went on that winning streak at the end of last year is because he was making corner threes and just he was so proficient from behind the arc and stretching out that defense to leave guys like Jordan Minor more room to operate on offense. So. Yeah, if they can make three-pointers, they're very difficult to beat. And uh, teams got to look at taking away their three-point attempts at the very least and try to force them to go off the dribble a little bit and create uh, inside the arc. One thing that stood out for me on for to Central's uh, benefit was 11 offensive rebounds in that game. They So they controlled the offensive board, had a number of second-chance points throughout the game. Is that something that you would have anticipated coming in? Yeah, because Merrimack's a, a poor rebounding team. They don't necessarily choose to put an emphasis on rebounding. Um, so, yeah, offensive rebounds will be there against that zone. And, you know, with with Kellen Amos and Jaden Brown and, and AJR, I mean, those guys are great on the offensive glass. Uh, they'll definitely attack it, especially Jaden Brown. He's having a really good junior season for, for Pat Sellers. So, yeah. I, that's one way to do it is you try to get your second chance points against Merrimack because the other points, the fast break points, the easy looks at three are very hard to come by. Merrimack, just a fascinating team to me because every time, every team that plays them, um, it, it's just such a unique matchup uh, to, to go up against them. So uh, I love talking about them, watching them. There's something different that you don't see around the country and look, they've had success and you, you can't quibble with, winning a championship and now being one of the favorites to do as well, tied for first place at this point. Let's talk about another team that's right in the mix now. Sacred Heart comes off a sweep. Warren Easy wins this week at home, no. beating Stonehill and LeMoyne. But you know what? They got the two dubs, six and three now, just a game out. Yeah, home cooking is what they needed. They've been very good at home. They've actually won their last seven home games dating back to the non-conference season. So, for them to pull off the victory against Stonehill and LeMoyne and keep themselves in this race. Look, they have to beat Central Connecticut on Thursday. If they don't, they don't have a chance at first place for the regular season. But now they have their opportunity. And, you know, the encouraging sign for, for Anthony Latina is he's gotten different guys to contribute at different times. So on Thursday, it was Joey Riley with 22 points and Brendan McGuire with 16 points and 11 assists. And, you know, Sacred Heart going on a 19-2 run spurred by those two guys. Uh, which gave him enough separation to win. And then Saturday, it was Nico Gallette and Raheem Solomon coming out of nowhere. You know, that, that pair combined to score 45 points. Solomon was just, he couldn't miss from deeps. A five of six, he had 23 points, seven rebounds. McGuire, again, 10 dimes. You know, Brendan McGuire is the key to this offense. When he's playing well, yep. they're just so much better. When you have a, a big facilitator like McGuire who, who can rebound the ball, he, he's got a high IQ. When he's not turning the ball over and he's, he's dropping, you know, 10, 11 dimes in a game, Sacred Heart's offense is just that much more efficient. When he's had some poor games, particularly against Merrimack, and I don't want to pick on McGuire, 
you know, there were other reasons why they lost that game, but I don't believe he had an assist and he had like five turnovers in that loss at Merrimack earlier in the year. And, you know, the Sacred Heart offense kind of sputtered. If McGuire is playing really well and he did this past week, uh, that Sacred Heart offense is exciting and they're certainly dangerous for the rest of the league. Yeah, I, I agree with that. McGuire had 21 assists and two turnovers over the two games, which is like, that's a recipe for success right there. Yeah. And one of the stats that I, I looked up was um, last time we had a player go back to back 10 assist game, you have to go back five years to Javaris Hayes. So it's not something that happens all that often. And he sees the floor as good as any player in this league. He sees over the guys guarding him, whether you want to call him a point forward, a point guard, whatever it is, he's a six, seven player with the ball in his hands all the time who spots the cutters, spots the three point shooters. And if you have Raheem Solomon, what you said earlier, if he's going to knock down threes like that, and you know, Joey Riley's going to get him, that suddenly makes them even more dangerous without even talking about Nico Gallet. Absolutely. I mean, when you have shooters like Riley and Solomon and then a post guy like, you know, Sobel, um, to have that facilitator who has elite court vision, let's be honest, elite court vision. You could see over the top of most guards at six, seven, or whoever's guarding him. But he's also really good in transition, too. He could get up and down the floor pretty quickly, and he's good at kind of facilitating the open floor. So, yeah, he's just he's a table setter. Anthony Latina has always been bullish on Brendan McGuire. I should say healthy Brendan McGuire when he's healthy. This team is different. Uh, they're, 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 that offense is definitely built different, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how they match up against Central Connecticut on Thursday. Another challenger we need to talk about is FDU. So one of the things I wanted to say about FDU is they started 0-2, and I, I I'm cover this league as much as anybody. It's my job. But they've seemingly, to me, snuck up on everybody here. They've won five of six, and it's like you don't even realize it, that they're back here. They're five and three. So they're a half game behind Sacred Heart, a game and a half behind the two leaders. And there's st- things are starting to come together for them now. So they too have a big week ahead where they could find themselves, you know, right up with the Centrals and the Merrimacks when all is said and done this week. Yeah, they've taken so FDU is taking care of business, right? They beat Stonehill twice, they beat St. Francis, they beat LIU. That was a home win. They won a tight one against Sacred Heart where they were dominating and then Sacred Heart came back. So they've taken care of business to get themselves in position. Uh, you know, this team, again, offensively, they have a lot of potential. Um, you know, Hiro Blygen was was terrific on Saturday, 17 points. Uh, he was like slicing and dicing the Sharks every which way. I, I love his – he's like an old school two guard, you know. He doesn't shoot any threes. He's only going to shoot the three throw line and in, but it doesn't matter. He's really hard to guard. He's great, like, cutting off the ball. Uh, he'll get you an offensive rebound at times. He's good in transition. You know, so you combine him, of course, with Ansley Amaro. We know what a great shot maker he is, especially at 6'8". He's so hard to guard at the five. Uh, you know, Sean Moore has now scored at least 13 points in five straight, and he had a, you know, a double-double 15 and 10 effort against LIU. So this team's got talent. Like Sacred Heart, they have talent. And so when they're playing, when they're firing at all cylinders, they're also a dangerous team. Yeah, we'll talk about their game coming up this week. And another Central has a huge week coming up because they host Sacred Heart, then they host FDU. So, like, you know, in this league, things can turn on a dime, right? Like, two wins, two wins can take you uh, out of contention or take you right to the top. So, FDU is going to have a chance. They host Wagner on Thursday, which, again, not an easy game. Then they head out to Central on Saturday. Um, Bubbling down below these teams, 
anything catch your eye from the weekend from, you know, Lemoyne Wagner, LIU, Sacred Heart? Actually, we should talk about Stonehill getting the, getting their first win this season. Yeah, it was a tough it was a tough week for Lemoyne. You know, the, we, we knew it was going to be a tough road trip for them. You know, Wagner, Wagner, it's been pretty tough for them, obviously, with the, with the, with the seven guys, the Seahawks seven. I know they added the walk on. But um, you know they're 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 kind of struggling a little bit. Although they did get a really good win against Lemoyne on Thursday, um, but then a tough loss against Stonehill. And you know the Stonehill team, I, I think they're much better than what their record indicates, yep. without a doubt. I mean, Zegarowski twenty points in the win. Um, you know, you know, had eight, eight shots. You know, six rebounds, two assists. You know, Tony Felder's a playmaker. Um, you know, I, I like I like this team. I think they're gonna pick off a couple teams here in February and. You know, I don't think anyone really wants to play them in the first round of the NEC tournament, quite honestly, because Chris Krause is a veteran coach. They had success last year, and they're finally starting to get fully healthy. They had, they were decimated with injuries early in the season. They barely had enough bodies in the front court. But, you know, with Felder, Zagorowski, um, you know, Brogna, um, you know, Thatcher Stone gives you some good minutes occasionally. I mean, they have talent on this team, and they definitely could uh, kind of upset the top half of that NEC come uh, February, March. Yeah, they're in a stretch now. They had played three in a row on the road, so they're in a stretch now with three or, three or four at home, so maybe they could start making some headway. But as I'm looking at some of their scores now. Now, they lost by five. They lost in overtime. They lost the game by three. They lost the game by five. So they've been right there. So it's just yeah. a matter of closing. And you, you could say, look, they lost, you know, Sims and Burnett, you know, there's, these guys from last year that were all-stars in this league. And maybe it's just taken some time for them to get together and to get healthy. Yeah, I mean, this has kind of been a gap year for for Kraus, right? Because he he had so many veterans from last year, and you're also you know Shamir Johnson, and they had a bunch of guys that were like KG veterans on that team from last year. I'm a little surprised that they they had that losing streak because I thought when they almost beat Rutgers, and they literally were almost there beating Rutgers, you know, they lost to them by one in Piscataway in late December. I thought Stonehill would be a middle tier team. So like you said, they've had a lot of heartache, a lot of close losses. You know, they lost to LIU at home in a close one. You mentioned overtime loss to Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, you know, again, they lost at LIU in a tough one. They gave save they, they were leading Sacred Heart by nine early in that second half on Thursday. And they, they you know, Sacred Heart goes on a late run to, to pull away. So this is a better team. Again, this is a better team than their one and eight record in the NEC would indicate. And, they're going to win some games down the stretch. I, I feel pretty comfortable about saying that. Ryan, now let's get to our spotlight interview this week. We're going to welcome in Merrimack's Jordan Durkak. For this week's NEC On The Run interview, we are super excited to bring in Jordan Durkak, the NEC's leading scorer from Merrimack. Jordan, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you, guys. I'm really excited. All right, so let's get going. Big game on Saturday, Merrimack Central, battle for first place. Kind of a, we had a packed house at Lawler. I know you love playing in these sort of environments. Tough win. Like you, you guys were rolling. You had a great game, nine out of 11 shooting, real efficient, 22 points, six, re, six assists, four rebounds. You were kind of coasting throughout that game, but then Central would not go away. They came back hard, went right down to the buzzer. How were you able to put this one away in the end? You know, Coach Sellers, um, Coach Central Connecticut, he's got a great group. They play really hard. They're old. Um, so we knew they were never going to quit. Um, we didn't think it was going to end up like that. Uh, we had a we had a pretty sufficient lead towards the end, and they they did a great job cutting into it. Um, and then, you know, we, we had our game plan coming into the game. 
um, and we executed it pretty well. And then um, we 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 were able to finish a job. Jordan, I'm curious because you went from being the fourth or fifth option last year as a freshman to being the man. You know, after several players decided to move on from Merrimack last offseason, what kind of transition has that been for you? And at what point did you really start to embrace being the lead guy for Merrimack? You know, we we had um we had we had a lot of guys step up uh, this year so far, and we knew in the summer we were going to lose some guys um, after people entered the portal. We knew some guys were going to have to step up both as leaders and then. Um, on the court as well, playing, um, getting points, assists, rebounds, all that stuff. Um, and you know, during the summer, we had we had a couple of practices where I, f I felt as if I can I can take this group and I can I can help uh, do my part and bring this group to the next level um, as a leader. And that's what I've been trying to do. You know, when you were you know in high school and you're getting recruited by Merrimack, I'm just curious, did you have any hesitancy in playing in a program that featured exclusively a zone defense? You know, I um, I'm one of those kids, man. I got I got stuck in the uh, COVID uh, the pandemic, so I actually entered. I finished my senior year of basketball with zero offers, um, and then I had to go to prep school. And uh, Coach Gallo, Coach Mick, uh, and Coach Phil saw me out at prep school. Um, I knew that they played defense, but it was it was weird for me because I didn't really have a lot of time to decide. Um, I watched a little bit of film, and you know how that zone looks, man. I, I mean. One one second you're like oh it's a zone and then the next second you're like oh it's man so you don't really know unless you get told and then you get to campus and it's it's a zone it's a zone real quick you get you get to know that yeah why do you think you've excelled at playing in that zone you know with your skill set and being at the top of that zone with your your size and athleticism why do you think it's worked yeah. for you yeah we do so we do a great uh, coaches and uh, managers and stuff we do a great job of repping it every day I would say that we our our practices are are mostly defense. Um, uh, uh, coach Gallo is a defensive oriented, oriented coach. Um, and he's, he's, he's got me, he's got me really good at seeing the angles. Uh, a big thing for me was, uh, he, Gallo kind of lets me, he lets me see the next play. It's one of our rules is see the next play. Um, so just in, just cause, just cause something is not in the rules or just cause it's not supposed to be my run somewhere. Coach Gallo kind of gives me the reins to, run to the next spot if I see something. And for the most part, it's been, it's been really, it's been really working for me. Hey Jordan, what's the learning curve on that zone when you come in as a freshman? How hard is that? When do you feel comfortable in that system? So it's interesting because there's, there's three positions, the guards, forwards, and goalies. I would say that they're all very, very different. The guards is, if you're not in shape, you better get in shape because it's a lot of running. <laughs> Uh, I would say the the forwards is mostly mental. You got to know when you're going down. You got to know when you got to get out, when you got to bump, all that stuff. And then the goalies is uh, playing hard, running the floor. Uh, make sure you're you're being big back there and not uh, chesting up and not fouling. Um, for me, uh, it was tough because I found myself running around a lot. And I get I was getting really tired early last uh, last summer, and then I had some coaches clip up some of the older guys' uh, uh, zone clips, and I kind of understood here's where my feet go. Uh, I don't got to take seven steps when we got an older kid taking three steps to get to the same spot. And I think that's really helped me. Love, love that insight. That's awesome. Let's talk about, Ryan mentioned high school. Let's talk a little bit about Colonia and some of your siblings. So we're here in central Jersey here in the NEC. So I'm kind of plugged into the New Jersey high school scene a little bit. Um, Colonia High School, we had Justin Chiera like 20 years ago from Central Connecticut, was a star in the league. 
Um, your sister is committed to UMass. Your brother, Aiden, just lit up the school that my son went to a couple of weeks ago. He's starting to blow up there. What's it like in the summer when the three of you are together? I don't know if it's in the backyard or the playground. How intense does it get? One, and then two, how proud are you of uh, are you right now of Taylor and Aiden? Yeah, so we're fortunate enough to, uh, we had bought a house a couple years ago that actually had a full court basketball court in our backyard. Nice. So things get things get dicey in the backyard. <laughs> Those rims also get down to about eight and a half sometimes, and it turns into a little bit of a dunk contest. Uh, but, you know, I'm super proud of my siblings, man. They they put in the work. Uh, I, I don't see kids, you don't see kids that young put in the work that they put in. So I'm super proud of them. Aiden's doing his thing in high school right now. He's He's taking the Central Jersey by storm right now. I, I I think I knew it was coming. We had a couple people know it was coming last year. Um, but I would say that he's doing a really good job. And then Taylor, I'm super excited. She's she's super excited about UMass. Uh, coach Leffler, uh, head coach of UMass, he's awesome. We went on the visit, and he's nothing but positivity. And, you know, he, he's he's awesome. So I'm super excited for both of them. I'm proud of both of them. All right. The Dirk Hack dynasty will continue then for, what, another – Six years, maybe, right? Your brother's a son only. Yes. Nice. Jordan, I enjoy going to your Synergy page because it's unique because for a guard, you're efficient in stuff that guards typically aren't efficient. You know, offensive putbacks, posting up. You know, you've made 70% of your post-ups per Synergy this year. So I'm just curious, when did your post-up game develop? Was that something you developed in high school? Was that something that Coach Gallo and the staff identified as a potential strength given your above average size relative to NEC guards? Take me through that. Yeah, so I knew my dad's six six, my mom's about five eight. So I knew it was gonna come at some point. I was six foot, six one as a senior in high school. Um, so I was not posting up. And then uh I got to prep school. I grew about four inches, um, put on about 30 pounds, and then I realized that, you know, I'm I'm bigger than these guys guarding me. So let me uh let me get into the pain a little bit. And, you know, my dad has always been – he's always been uh, a good facilitator for me. Uh, he, he's been awesome. He he's he was a back-to-the-basket player at some point in his career. Um, but as ferocious as he is, he gets these putbacks. He he got all this – all those steals and everything that I'm getting. Um, so I, I applaud most of my back-to-the-basket skills from him. Yeah, and it's just not post-play. You're a jack-of-all-trades. You can kind of do it all. If you had the, you know, if if you came down to the final, you know, minute of the game and you have the ball in your hands, what would you want it to be? A successful post up, a coast to coast transition dunk, a runner in the lane, or maybe you you dish off a spectacular dime to a teammate? What's what's the dream play for you to to help Merrimack win a, a you know a a great game? You know, obviously, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very cerebral player, so I would like to see what the fouls look like uh, if we're in the bonus or we're not in the bonus uh who's hot who's not hot um i'm trying to ultimately get the highest percentage look at the rim um in that in that case it could be i mean if dev savage is shooting it like he's shooting in the last game it's probably going to be dev savage uh if brian assumed was finishing like he has the rim the last couple of games it's probably going to be brian so it would just depend on how it's going how it's going to go jordan defensively this season Despite the fact you lost your goalie from last year, Jordan Miner and some other guys, you're playing at a higher level defensively than you were in 22-23. How did you get to that point so quick with all these new faces? You know, we have a lot of guys that have came in. Uh, they've done a great job of accepting roles defensively. 
Um, this is not, it's not a defense where if one person messes up, we'll be fine. It's very obvious if someone messes up and Gala has made that very important to us. Um, the guy, the, the new guys and the guys that have came in, they've done a really good job of blending in at first and now blossoming as, as the season has gone. Um, we got, we have uh, Jacob O'Connell. He came in, uh, from Princeton and at first, you know, he, he was struggling a little bit, just, just with some slides and stuff and chesting up the ball. And now, I mean, he's, he's been phenomenal for us. He's blocking shots. Uh, he's altering every single shot when people are near him. Um, so he's doing a great job and all the new guys in general, they've been, they've been staying the course and I'm excited to see what this uh, rest of the season entails for us defensively. All right, let's just talk a little bit about the rest of the season. You have games coming up this week at LIU, then against LeMoyne. You're right now 7-2. You're in a pretty good spot, tied for first. You've split the series with, with Central. You have some challengers right behind you and Sacred Heart and, and FDU. If you're going to go back-to-back this year, what's the what's the key? What is Coach Gallo emphasizing for you to kind of to get back to where you were last year and, and, and this time make it to NCAAs? So – our whole thing is take it one day by one day, um, even one practice by one practice. The most important day is right now um, is our practice in about 30 minutes. Um, and, you know, every game is one game. So right now we're focused on LIU and after LIU, we'll focus on the next team. And that's just how it goes. Um, and that's the best way to make sure you're focused for every game. You're locked in. Um, and, you know, we're focused on every game. We, I can't even like truthfully. I can't tell you where the rest of our schedule is. I really just know we have LIU on Thursday at their place. There it goes. Jordan Durkak is locked in, as is Merrimack. We'll see them this week on NEC TV. Jordan, thanks so much for the time. Continued best of luck. You're having a great season, and uh, we'll see you down the line. Thank you, guys. Ryan, that was fun talking to Jordan. I really thought he gave us some tremendous insight into what that. Merrimack style and that Merrimack system is all about. Yeah, I love the point that you have to be in shape to be in the top of that zone. That seems evident. <laughs> I mean, those guys are just moving around. It's chaos. You don't know what their next move is going to be, and they're always like thinking a play ahead. And I think Durkak is a perfect person to put at the top of the zone, not just because of the length and athleticism, but he mentioned he's so cerebral. He's thinking ahead. He could see the next play that the offense is doing. So it's a perfect fit with Durkak and uh, Joe Gallo for sure. Ryan, now that we've done a swing around the league, let's look at upcoming TV games this week. We already mentioned it. FDU Central on Saturday, ESPN Plus and a Yes Network game in New Britain. This has huge implications in the game. What do you see coming from this matchup? It's a huge week at Dietrich Gymnasium. There's there's no doubt. Um, Central Connecticut handled FDU pretty convincingly in their opening game at the Rothman, you know, something to keep an eye on for that one. Central Connecticut outscored FDU 14 and one on transit transition points. They were plus 10 in rebounding margin. They were plus 14 in points in the paint. So it was a dominant effort. I'm looking for Jack Castleberry's team now coming off five of six, you know, winning five of six that only lost being against Central Connecticut. I think they're going to put up a much better fight and uh, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Looking forward to see how they guard Ansley Almanor, Central Connecticut. Are they going to put – I assume they put Alan Gene Rose on him. He's the, the most versatile defensive big man in this league. I think he guard one through five. So that's going to be a fun matchup between Almanor and AJR. This week, two of the biggest games at Dietrich Gymnasium in a long time, Sacred Heart Thursday, and then FDU in our TV game on Saturday. In the second game of a TV doubleheader on Saturday, it's LeMoyne visiting its old NE10 rival Merrimack, 
at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. Yeah, this would be a fascinating one, too. Merrimack took care of business at LeMoyne earlier in the year. Merrimack was running away with that game. It was actually similar to Merrimack Central Connecticut on Saturday. Merrimack was running away with that game. LeMoyne had a late surge, got it close, got it to a respectable deficit, and ended up losing, unfortunately. LeMoyne, they're going through a, a tough road stretch right now. They drop games at Wagner, at Sacred Heart. So knocking out, knocking off Merrimack's not going to be easy, but, you know, Merrimack really has to focus on Luke Sutherland. He's been fantastic, 47 points, 10 rebounds in his last two games. And just watching him live against Mer against Wagner, he was just – he could he could make a shot anywhere on the floor. It's pretty impressive. He could do a step back. He could do a sidestep. He's got a mid-range game. He's very good from three-point land. He could even step back and take a three from, you know, two feet behind the arc. Uh, he's really efficient around the rim. So Luke Sutherland, I'm really keen on him. Right now he's an all-conference player. It'll be fascinating to see how this zone handles Sutherland's playmaking ability. Ryan, you're the one that said that one of the ways to try to beat Merrimack is with shooters and LeMoyne comes loaded with them, right? Absolutely. You know, you need a good game out of Kai Clear. You need Sutherland to hit shots, McLean as well. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see. Obviously, that Merrimack defense thrives itself on preventing three-point attempts. So LeMoyne loves to take three-pointers. Going into the Wagner game, they took 49% of their shots from deep. So obviously Joe Gallo is going to be kind of looking for like, okay, let's hold LeMoyne to 20 or fewer three-pointers. So we'll see who wins that battle. We're going to probably see a lot of deep threes, maybe a three at the logo even. It's going to be fun to watch. Fun game on tap on Saturday. LeMoyne Merrimack, 3 o'clock on ESPN+. That'll do it for this week's NEC on the Run podcast. I want to thank Jordan Durkak from Merrimack for taking some time to talk to us. Ryan, as always, thank you for joining me. We have a huge week ahead. I can't wait to talk next week and see how it all plays out. Yeah, we're, the standings will really be defined in the following week for sure. We're gonna we're gonna know who the contenders are, the true contenders, and you know who's behind them. Thanks for joining us on the NEC on the Run podcast on the NEC Overtime Pod.